Chapter 25. Nesson's Nosy Newcomer. Martin Nesson was a deer caught in headlights. What the hell was he going to do? There was nowhere to run. He had nowhere to hide, so he just stood there as the footsteps got closer and closer. They stopped just outside of the room, the shadow of a figure now visible in the doorway. Hello, a woman's voice said shakily. Is someone there? I warn you, I have a gun. I'll shoot if I have to, she insisted. The bump on Nesson's head throbbed at even the mention of a gun. Better a bump on the head than a bullet in the chest, he supposed. Nesson weighed his options. He could hope that the woman wouldn't have the nerve to come in and check the room, and maybe she'd leave without seeing him. This, however, seemed unlikely. He'd turned on all the lights in the place, and she had likely already heard him milling about when she first entered. As far as he knew, she may even have seen him enter the building earlier. The other option, then, was to show himself and hope she didn't think him dangerous enough to shoot. He was not thrilled with either option. Y y yes hello Nesson whined weakly from inside the bedroom. Don't, please don't shoot. I'm not armed. I don't want to make any trouble, he pleaded. The voice answered more sternly this time. All right, come on out then, slowly. I swear if you try anything funny, make any sudden movements, I'll blow your head off, she threatened. Martin Nesson let out a very audible gulp, being held at gunpoint two separate times in the last twelve hours. This was not his day. Okay, I'm coming out, he agreed. Slowly, cautiously, Martin Nesson moved into the doorway of the bedroom, his hands raised above his head in a signal of surrender. What stared back at him from the other side was an older woman, who Nesson guessed to be in her sixties. She was a grain brunette, her short hair tucked under a dark blue cap. She wore a long brown trench coat, and she held a kitchen knife in her hand, not a gun. A knife, Nesson thought. Thank heavens. Seeing that she was not, in fact, holding a gun, Martin Nesson let his guard down, if only just a bit. The woman relaxed as well when she saw Nesson. She looked at Nesson, then down at her knife, and then back at him again. She had a stern expression on her face. All right, I don't have a gun, but don't test me with this knife, young man. I won't hesitate if you try anything, she warned. Now, who the bloody hell are you? He hadn't noticed until her last statement, perhaps because he had bigger things to worry about that this woman had an English accent. A friend of Perry's. My name is Martin Nesson. I'm a friend of... Well, I work with Mr. Penderwinkle. He left quite suddenly today, and I don't know where he went. He left everything at the office. Wallet, passport, keys. That's how I got in here, he said, holding up the keys as evidence. I'm afraid that something terrible has happened to him. And so you decided to break into his apartment. Is that it? She said accusingly. You didn't think to call first and see if he was home? How do I know you're who you say you are? How do I know you're telling me the truth? She demanded. Well, if you don't mind my asking, who are you? Mr. Penderwinkle's not married, so I know you're not his wife. How did you get in here? Nesson challenged the stranger. Good point, the woman replied. I'm an associate of Mr. Penderwinkle's, though not in the same capacity as yourself. We're old friends. I worked with him back in England some years ago. In British intelligence, Nesson blurted out. The woman's face registered a look of genuine surprise at Nesson's words. She looked as if she wanted to say something, but she hesitated, as if wanting to choose her next words very carefully. Cranley, Martin remembered. I spoke with a Mr. Cranley on the phone. Spoke with him just this morning. He told me Mr. Penderwinkle had worked in British intelligence before coming to America. Cranley? 
she asked, clearly confused. Why did you speak with Cranley? Well, he was trying to reach Mr. Penderwinkle this morning, and I was in his office when the call came through. Penderwinkle's office, that is. I'm afraid something has happened to Mr. Penderwinkle. Something terrible. The woman looked at Nissen, trying to decide if he was really telling her the truth or playing some other game. What has happened to Perry Penderwinkle? she asked. I'm afraid he's been kidnapped, Nissen blurted out. Kidnapped by whom? she asked. Marcus Ingram. There was a look of utter shock on her face. Very well, she said. Start from the beginning and tell me everything. Chapter 26, Martin's Misfortune. And that, I suppose, is why I decided to come here, to see if there was even the smallest chance that Penderwinkle had returned. If nothing else, I hoped I might find something here that could give me a clue as to where he was, or who this Marcus Ingram is, Nesson explained, concluding his tale. That is all very interesting, Mr. Nesson, the woman replied. Please, call me Martin, but if you don't mind... I don't think you ever told me your name. Come to think of it, you've told me very little about yourself, Nesson said. True enough, I suppose. My name is Philippa, and as I said before, I'm an old associate of Mr. Penderwinkle, from his days in the service. I cannot tell you much, Mr. Martin, but I can tell you this. Perry Penderwinkle is in grave danger. I was sent from London to warn him, but it seems I've arrived too late, she confessed. "'In danger because of this Ingram fellow, Marcus Ingram?' Nesson asked. "'One and the same,' she confirmed with a nod. "'You see, Mr. Penderwinkle and Mr. Ingram had a falling out of sorts. "'Tell me, has Penderwinkle ever spoken to you of his wife?' "'Wife? I didn't think Penderwinkle had a wife,' Nesson admitted. "'Not any more. She died, you see, rather tragically. "'Shot and killed in their flat nearly two years ago.' Penderwinkle couldn't bear to live there afterward, and so he left the flat, left London, and came to America, she recounted. My God! I had no idea. Poor Penderwinkle. And now all this horrible business with that Ingram fellow. Perry can't catch a break, can he? That's the thing, Martin. These two incidents are not entirely unrelated, Philippa revealed. I don't understand, Nesson replied. Philippa stared back at Nesson in silence. Wait, you don't mean this Ingram fellow, Nesson started. When Penderwinkle's wife was murdered, it was Marcus Ingram they found in the apartment holding the gun. In fact, they say it was Perry who found Ingram. He was so drunk he could barely string two sentences together. Nesson gasped at the revelation. Marcus Ingram was arrested, tried, and convicted of murder. He never admitted to the crime, maintaining his innocence throughout the trial, though the evidence was not in his favor. Penderwinkle himself testified in court, and it was likely his testimony that sealed Ingram's fate. He was sent to prison and remained there until less than a month ago, when he escaped. And now he's what? Kidnapped Perry as some kind of revenge? Why go to all the trouble? asked Nesson. Perhaps, but I think it more likely that if Ingram is innocent, as he says, he's trying to find a way to prove his innocence, she continued. But why come after Perry? What good will that do? Perry's already told all he knows. Why add kidnapping to Ingram's list of crimes? That supposes that Mr. Penderwinkle did tell all he knew about the murder, Philip offered. But suppose for a moment that Perry Penderwinkle knows more than he told police. Suppose there are certain details he left out, for one reason or another. Well, 
Ingram may be quite interested in hearing these details if that's the case. Maybe, just maybe, there's more to the story of this murder than Perry Penderwinkle would lead us all to believe. Wait, Nesson started, unable to believe what he was hearing. Are you suggesting that only supposing Martin? Of course, the idea seems far-fetched, but isn't it interesting that Ingram still maintains his innocence? And isn't it interesting that after his escape, the first person he went looking for was the husband of his alleged victim? Something tells me... There is more going on than meets the eye, Philippa said. But what are we to do? Why don't we just report this to the police, Nesson pleaded. No, Cranley was right. We cannot report this to the police. If we do that, it will tip off Ingram and we'll never find him. As long as Ingram thinks you're the only one who knows about Perry's kidnapping, he'll proceed as normal with whatever it is he is planning. Philippa started to say something but then stopped herself. Nessing could tell there was something she wanted to say, but again, she seemed to be searching for the right words. Martin, you were the only one to witness Perry's kidnapping. That means you're the only one who can identify Ingram and tie him to Penderwinkle's disappearance. Do you see where I'm going with this? she asked. Martin Nesson suddenly felt as if the room he was standing in had gotten much smaller. He felt hot, his hands clammy. This place was starting to feel quite claustrophobic. And as he stared at the woman in front of him, he remembered that he was standing in an apartment that was not his own, with someone who was a complete stranger. No one knew he was here. A deeply unsettling feeling was growing inside him. Martin, there's a very real possibility that Marcus Ingram could come looking for you, and if he finds you, Martin Nesson did not need her to finish the sentence. He was growing dizzy again. There was a tightening in his chest. He had to get out of this apartment. I need a breath of fresh air, he said in a state of panic as he rushed past Philippa, making for the door. Martin, wait, she called out behind him as he ran out into the hallway. Her calls fell on deaf ears as he raced down the multiple flights of steps to the ground floor and then out onto the street and into the cool night air. He breathed deep like someone who had been underwater far too long and had finally come up for air. What is this world I've gotten myself into? Martin looked up at the apartment building, the light spilling out of Perry's bedroom window. Multiple stories up, he could see Philip appearing down at him on the street, her head and shoulders silhouetted by the lamplight. And then she was gone. Nesson did not wait to find out if she was coming downstairs. He ran up the block, stuck out his arm, and hailed a cab. It was time to go home. Chapter 27. Nesson's Nerves Nesson did not go into work the following morning. He called in sick. Though his hangover was finally gone and the wound on his head was no longer throbbing, he felt sick in an entirely different way. He was sick with worry, and he feared there was no cure. Standing in his kitchen, eating a bowl of instant oatmeal, he ran through the events of the previous night for the seven millionth time. He wished he had never gone to that damned apartment of Penderwinkle's. He wished he had left Penderwinkle's office just five minutes earlier. More than anything, he wished he had never gotten drunk the previous evening. To think, if he had just stayed in for the night, he wouldn't have gotten drunk, wouldn't have stumbled into the office in the middle of the night, or fallen asleep in Perry's office. Most importantly, he would never have found himself in this awful mess. Martin Nesson poured himself a third cup of coffee and he began to cry. He was a nervous enough person already, living in a city as fast-paced and chaotic as New York. 
Now with this new set of problems, Nessun feared he would finally succumb to the worst of his anxiety. He would become a shudden, a recluse, afraid even to leave his apartment. He imagined living in this apartment, the curtains always drawn, the windows always shut, and the doors always locked. He would have his groceries delivered. He'd only open the door to throw his garbage into the hallway. His skin would grow even paler as it saw less and less sunlight in the coming years. His clothes would smell like mothballs. His hair would grow thin and greasy. He'd grow a long, patchy beard, making him look like the hermit he had always feared he might become. Martin Nesson could see his future, and it was bleak. The doorbell buzzed, and Nesson dropped his cup of hot coffee, watching it shatter at his feet, splashing the scalding hot liquid on his ankles. He let out a scream that was half surprise at the doorbell and half a yelp of pain from the spilt coffee. The bell buzzed again as Nesson navigated his way around the treacherous lake of hot coffee now pooled on his kitchen floor. He was careful not to step on any pieces of broken coffee mug jutting out of the coffee lake like icebergs. Once he'd successfully circumvented the disaster area, Martin made his way to the door, leaving a trail of coffee-colored footprints behind him on the linoleum. If Nesson had not been so startled by the buzzer, he likely would have remained silent and pretended he was not home, leaving the door unanswered. But as it now stood, there would be no fooling whoever waited on the other side of that door. Unless they were incredibly hard of hearing, it would have been impossible not to hear both Nesson's shout and the loud shattering of his coffee mug. Trying his best to remain calm, Martin Nesson stuck his eye to the front door's small fisheye lens. It was her. The woman from last night, she had found him already, his worst fears realized. Was he really that easy to follow? But then Nesson remembered. In his haste, he had made the mistake of giving the woman his first and last name. All she had to do was look him up in a phone book, and there was his address. He was not very good at all this cloak and dagger business. Martin, she said through the door. Martin, I know you're in there. Let me in, please. We need to talk, she said looking to either side of her before continuing. You can't stay in there forever, Martin. Now please open up. Nesson knew she was right. If Philippa, who had just met him, could find where he lived only a few hours after their first meeting, it stood to reason that Ingram would have little trouble finding him as well. Nesson removed the deadbolt, unlocking the door with a sense of resignation. He opened the door only far enough for Philippa to see it was unlocked. Then retreated dejectedly to his sofa, choosing to ignore the disaster area that was his kitchen. Philippa stepped in tentatively, surveying the apartment interior, then making one last check out in the hallway before closing and locking the door behind her. Immediately she noticed the large pool of coffee moving slowly across the uneven kitchen floor. It would seem that she had found the source of the loud crashing sound she'd heard right before Nesson answered the door. Philippa stepped around the puddle of coffee and moved into the living room, where Nesson lay face down on his sofa. Quite the abrupt exit last night, don't you think? she said casually. Nesson sighed loudly, then rolled onto his side, looking up lazily at Philippa. He appeared exhausted, like he hadn't slept all night. His eyes were bloodshot and his hair matted to one side. Nesson looked rather frantic, out of sorts, and understandably so. He was facing the very real possibility that somebody was coming after him, possibly to kidnap him, maybe to kill him. I couldn't bear it. I couldn't stand to be in that room another minute. The walls felt like they were closing in. I couldn't breathe, and it was all feeling too claustrophobic in there. 
I'm sorry I left so suddenly, but I... Nissen tried to finish, but he trailed off. You were frightened. I don't expect that when you woke up yesterday morning you had any idea you'd find yourself mixed up in all this business, Philippa said consolingly. It's understandable to be afraid, Martin. But I must tell you, hiding in your apartment all day won't solve your problems. It will only delay the inevitable. Well, what am I supposed to do? Apparently I can't go to the police. I don't know who I can talk to. I don't even know who I can ask for help. Maybe I can call back Penderwinkle's friend, Cranley. Maybe he'd be able to help me, Nesson wondered. I'm glad you brought him up, Mr. Cranley. I've been in contact with him since our meeting last night. I relayed your story to him, and he thinks it's best that I keep a close eye on you until we track down Marcus. You spoke with him, Nesson said, sitting up on the couch. What did he say? Does he have any idea where they may have gone, Marcus and Perry? No, I'm afraid not. None of us do at the moment, she admitted. Though Cranley did bring to my attention an old colleague of theirs from the service. She's been retired for some years, but she does live in the city. There's a chance that one or both of them may have contacted her. I've tried calling, but can't get through to her. However, I have an address, and I think it's time we paid her a visit. We? stammered Nesson. Yes, Martin. If I'm to protect you, I'll need you with me at all times. I think it's best that you come stay with me for the next few days. My car is parked just down the block. You can grab what you need and I'll pull the car around, she said. Nesson was at a loss for words. Events were moving faster than he could make sense of. He knew one thing for certain, though. He could not stay here alone. The thought of being with someone else, even someone he barely knew, was a comfort to him. He got to his feet. All right, he said. I'll just be a few minutes. Good. I'll pull the car around, she said, heading out the door. And don't be long. Wait, this associate of Perry and Marcus's, are we sure she's on our side? Philippa paused, turning around before saying, I don't know. I suppose there's only one way to find out. Well, who is she? She's a former member of the service, Philippa answered. Her name is Bernadette Dotrice.